This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? 9.35 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Ning and Mark Tan. It is Friday the 30th of June, the last day of the week and also the month. Uh, you are listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories. Only this week though. I don't think we're going to go trawl uh, through the Six stories months. of the month. Uh, but just for the week uh, and any other news tidbits that you may have missed before we send you off into the weekend. It is a long weekend for some because I'm sure many have taken uh, an annual leave today, given that yesterday was a public holiday for Hari Raya Aidil Adha. So, good for you. Those who are celebrating or who are enjoying a long weekend, well done. Nonetheless, um, we are here. We are here. We, we Don't are worry. Here. Yes. Well, yes. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> we've got nowhere to go. But anyway, we've got some interesting stories for you and it's a real hodgepodge of stuff, but actually somewhat focused on the media sector, right? That's right. So, let's Let's take a look at um, artificial intelligence. I think the push into AI is galvanizing different stakeholders to think more deeply about how much it wants to allow AI into their industries. And when it comes to the media, there is some news coming out of the Wall Street Journal uh, that talks about how the big publishers are reacting to this change. So there's nothing like a common enemy to unite former foes as you know, several large news and magazine publishers are discussing a formation of a new coalition to address this. So previously, collaboration among these people are very rare, but with the recent AI tools training ChatGBT, I think there's a slight sense they feel threatened on this matter. So why would news media feel threatened? Let's let's tease out some of the issues and concerns that the industry has. Yeah, What is it about ChatGPT uh, that makes news media in particular anxious? Well, one thing is ChatGPT will give you the answers that you need instantly. So you don't have to trawl through maybe five, six different news websites to find out what's happening of the big stories of the day. You could just tell ChatGPT, give me the top three stories of the day and pop, it will instantly come out, right? It will just tell you one, two, three. Maybe like if it was on Saturday, it will say uh, Russian mutiny, for example, that would be one top story and then it will discuss that in detail. So you're not going to the website of the Wall Street Journal Mm. or the website of the Financial Times. Your eyeballs are not on that website and that means you probably won't pay for the subscriptions for those websites or you will look at the newspapers so it's a profit and profit kind of threat i right. think that these um newspapers are actually really focusing on it's right. all about the dollar and cents at the end of the day right i think another element that they're thinking about also is how much do these ai uh, systems rely on the articles or content being produced by the news publishers yeah so is our articles from the wall street journal or from the washington post being used by chat gpt and included in whatever calculations that they do on their back end to spit out the information that uh, users are are asking for. So that's a really complicated issue from my uh, mind, right? Yes. Uh, so what does that mean? Does that mean more paywalls or, or how do you circumvent that kind of access even if you want it to in this age where in the digital field everything is so easily accessible? Yeah, so my point is these publishing executives are thinking, how am I going to be compensated even if I really can't stop chat GPT? Which is an issue they are already struggling with today and there's no resolution and that's coming from the fact that, you know, if you go into Facebook or you go into Instagram or well, Facebook mainly, they're really direct, they kind of like 
collate the news that is available out there without crediting or paying some of these mm. uh, publishers. So you can't resolve that. Imagine resolving that in the world of ChatGPT or in the world of AI. I think that that I think the publishers are thinking, how are we going to ever resolve this? Correct. I suppose when you do a Google search, I mean, whether it's, it takes a click or two clicks, you are able to find the source of the original information. But when you go to ChatGPT, there's no links whatsoever for you to do the sources, right? So interesting enough, you know, like if we look at what the Europeans are doing, the European Union Parliament has approved an AI Act, though it's not turned into law yet, and this will help them regulate the usage of AI in that country. Interesting stuff. I think it's also, yeah, it's going to be uh, curious to watch which regions take the lead in regulating this field and, and whether those standards take hold in other parts of the world as well. It's also uh, important to note just how different industries are reacting to the whole push in AI. Don't forget that over in Hollywood, you still have the writer's strike. I mean, there hasn't still been going on. so much coverage on that, but that is still going on. And latest news is that the actors also may start to take up picket lines uh, if they don't manage to come to an agreement on, on what their what their demands are mm. and AI is one of those I think one of the conditions in the new contracts that are trying to be negotiated is that uh, studios shouldn't be able to use AI simulations of actors for example you know so uh, again just like in writers how they're talking about whether AI can be used to actually come up with stories or scripts you know it also applies to actors uh, and whether we'll see real people or whether we'll see uh, visualizations of something isn't there a local radio station that has an AI that's DJ right already? I think Fly FM is experimenting with having an AI uh, a radio DJ. And don't forget, even other, um, I think, news outlets uh, in other countries, they also have AI uh, news presenters, for example. So there's definitely a lot of experimentation in this field. But how much we want it to actually permeate and become a permanent feature, that's what's being debated. Please, can I keep my job for another five years <laughs> at least yeah. before I get replaced by Ta a robot? Yeah, so talking about jobs and writers, unfortunately, we heard news overnight that NetGeo laid off all its staff writers. I think 19 people got affected. And sad to say also, they are stopping newsstand sales. So I remember, you know, if, if you go to a lot of the newsstand stores in the US, you'll see that nice little yellow frame magazine. That's all going to be in the past now. I grew up reading National Geographic. It was sent to my house every month and it had amazing pictures. It was very clever journalism, very well written, long form format articles. A lot of money had been spent on creating this magazine. But it's also the demise of the magazine and newspaper industry, right? But you know, it's, it's, are we, it's sad because they're just really going to focus on uh, editors and freelancers. The magazine will continue. It will still continue to be published, but it just doesn't make enough money for them to have long, full, I mean, full-time staff writers. That is sad. And I guess it also, uh, it also leads to this, how is the industry changing in terms of jobs, right? So once upon a time, if you were a young journalist, you could aspire to be a staff journalist at National Geographic and learn to take those beautiful pictures and write those great articles. Now that's no more. How is that changing how people decide whether or not to go into journalism or reporting or, or photojournalism? Are we then also guilty of not wanting to pay for good journalism? Right, because there's so much stuff available out there for free, tons, tons. Uh, but good quality journalism takes time, takes legwork, takes verification. You know that you need huge amounts of people to write and double check stuff, editors, and people just sit, think, ah, you know, I don't even want to pay two ringgit for a newspaper. What more about a magazine that when you bring from overseas is like 30, 40 ringgit? And I think it's the same. It applies to to anything like, you know, we're just so used to getting things free. Right. But these things don't come without a cost. 
And I think even media companies are trying to decide what model works for them. Mm, it's yeah. one of those really ongoing issues that uh, is going to determine the trajectory of the industry moving forward. Uh, but from the media landscape, let's take a look at what happened after the Wagner group coup that wasn't. So we began the week with the fallout between President Vladimir Putin and his once chef Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner Group. You can listen to our discussions on what happened in Russia with Dr. Alexei Muraviev of Curtin University and Dr. Malcolm Davis of Aspie. But a little discussed aspect of these events is what this means for Russia's relationship with China and how Beijing views this threat to Putin's control over the country. Yeah. So correct. Both sides seem to have had several meetings this week and you know talk about relationships. Um, so one of the key things to talk about was you know Russia and China also held discussions on missile defense systems, right? Um, where China is interested in developing their own ballistic warning and missile interception systems, and they're working together, obviously you know against the U.S. own systems as well. Well, the point is the Chinese foreign ministry, I mean, they very diplomatically said that the aborted mutiny, as it is a Russian internal affair matter, and they have continued to express support for Moscow's efforts to stabilise the situation. Uh, it's a very politically correct answer, isn't it? Very politically correct, but I'm sure they must be watching the situation very carefully as well. Because now that there are chinks in President Putin's armour, what does that mean, um, I guess, in the longer term? Yeah, it's, It may not change anything in the next couple of months, but uh, will we see some seismic shifts in the coming year or years ahead. And I think China also needs to plan how it wants to, um, I guess, strategize in its relations with Russia. So, And they were trying to broker some peace talks, right? So does this change that position that China is taking? Well, we'll see. Well, it'll also be interesting to see because BRICS is meeting up in August in South Africa. So, you know, BRICS is a coalition of Brazil, Russia, India and China. And will Russia attend this meeting? We might be able to get some answers. All right, let's uh, take a look at what's happening over in South Korea because the lucky people of South Korea are about to achieve something that most of us wish we could do, and that is age backwards. This week, Seoul scrapped a law that used a traditional counting method for age, which means that everybody uh, gets to be one year younger, or at least a year younger than what they were previously. So they're following what Japan and China has done, where they shifted it to the global standard uh, calendar year, right? So there's a lot of impacts from this. You know, I mean, how how do you determine the age for kids starting elementary school, military conscription, legal drinking age, retirement age, driver's license, and obviously age of marriage. So all this will need to be recalibrated because of this law. So the idea was that Koreans' age started at one. When they were born, they were one. one. And that's why they're they are technically a year older than what the rest of the world is. Uh, yeah, now they're scrapping that. So they're going to be the same age as um, everyone else. I don't care. I just don't mind being a year younger too. Why not? Why not? Although I never hide my age, I, I'm I'm totally proud of it. Totally. Do you, do you want to share? I with am the class? 49 years old. Next year will be my big five zero. I look forward to it. All right, 9:46 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but when we come back, we'll look at um, we'll look at some of the local stories that have caught our eye this week. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. 9.47 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Shaoning and Mark. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show of stories that have caught our eye our eye this past five days, uh, as well as other news tidbits that you may have missed. Now, if we take a look at what happened uh, locally, you, we see that Minister for Communications and Digital, Fami Fadil, has been in the headlines and on social media a lot for the past few weeks for a variety of reasons. And the one that we're looking at this morning is 
things related to the government announcement that it would sue Meta for undesirable content. Correct, but not through a cage fight. It would sue Meta because of defamatory content that is appearing on Facebook. So Fami has requested Facebook to take down this content, but the response from Meta has been very sluggish and unsatisfactory, forcing the Minister of Communications to take further action. I'm curious to see what this further action means and how it will take shape, what laws it will come under. I don't think, because it's something that we've never really done before. So I, I think it is worth kind of mm. trying to, Trying more details need to come out in order to understand exactly how this is going to take shape. What's interesting is this uh, unity government led by Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim seems to be scrutinizing social media content in a little bit more detail. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just my own observations and I'm not being absolutely flat fair. Other governments may have, may have done so in the past. But we definitely see more headlines attacking like these international, global social media platforms, right? So uh, we did have Twitter, I think, also asked to remove content, which they did, but apparently Malaysia Now is reporting. Malaysia Now, by the way, was also questions over whether that was, you could access their website over the weekend. I tried and I could, but I think when that news first came out, I, I wasn't, in, I didn't try, so I'm not sure whether it was just a sporadic event. So uh, apparently Twitter also has shot down MCM's request to delete post critical of the Prime Minister. So it looks like we're asking a lot of different social media platforms to take out, take down comment, comments which the government doesn't like. But is that the right way to do things? So and freedom of press? Comments? Aren't we allowed to say what we want? I think there are a number of different issues kind of mixed into this, right? So on one hand, uh, we know that the government has been very strong against scams. And I think that's one of the things that they've really taken social media players to task for. I think that was one of the, reason, one of the uh, reasons given for this suit against Meta purportedly because of the number of scams and just the fact that uh, Meta isn't able to address this quickly enough to prevent people from falling victim uh, to some very serious serious uh, scam operations, right? And then there's the other element of how much is, is how much are this government action infringing on freedom of expression and speech? And there are concerns there. The Malaysia Now situation, where it was supposedly um, where some users of certain mobile networks couldn't access it. Again, there's a lot of different, um, I suppose, uh, new experiences coming out from that. But it does raise questions mm. on, is, is this something being blocked on the government end? Which Fami has denied which our minister has actually said that was not the case at all. They did not ask MCMC to block this website in any way. So we don't really know whether it was just temporary, was there something more sinister? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it does um, stand, I think it sh we should hear from the government on its stance of how much it's going to curb the cyber world, right? I mean, we don't have curbs on the internet at the moment. Is this is the government looking to build guard mm fences as, as other countries may have done. I hope not. Um, but it's also what is the definition of slander, right? And when does it go against, when does it count as, let's say, hateful speech? Goes against the three hours, three hours that we are, you know, we are told to be cautious about race, religion and royalty. Uh, so, yeah, should we have, what, you know, open more open discussions about this? Would it be part of the media, media council's work? That's right. And I think something that um, the Deputy Minister for Communication and Digital, Tony Ching, raised in her Breakfast Grill interview with Keith Kam a couple months back, she did talk about uh, the idea of giving licenses for these international social media platforms to operate. Is that something that's being considered by the government? So I think all of these policy debates are going to come to the fore over the next couple of weeks or months. Keep an eye on this and we'll try to also bring coverage as and when it 
happens. Uh, but turning our attention to uh, another story that has really percolated across our headlines this week, and it's about politics as we go into the state elections. Uh, and this is really about Muda deciding to go solo um, in its uh, venture in the state elections. It has garnered a lot of uh, different reactions from all different stakeholders. Well, this comes to the fact that we had an interview with uh, Syed Sadiq earlier this week where he said his request to join Pakatan Harapan got to no response. And this follows what PH Secretary General Dato Sri Saifuddin Nasution said was too busy to evaluate Muda's application letter. So earlier this week, you know, Syed Sadiq said he'll go it alone. But just yesterday, a news came out that he may be considering to work with Party Socialists in Malaysia for the upcoming state, state elections. So don't forget that PSM was also a political party that was snubbed by Pakatan Harapan during GE15. They didn't manage to uh, come to an agreement for uh, an, an electoral pact during GE15. Um, so that did come to PSM's detriment. But again, a lot of people were also um, questioning why PH wasn't very, how to say, generous or wasn't very cooperative with PSM, uh, given the fact that they've had alliances in the past and they just couldn't seem to, uh, I guess, come to some kind of compromise with the party that they had worked with before. Isn't it better to have more friends in politics than less? There you go. But in the meantime, if you harbour a dream of becoming an Adun, Muda is inviting public to apply to be its state election candidates. I've seen this before. Pakatan Harapan did this before during GE15 where they had that open invite. Yeah, They just called people to uh, please uh, send in your applications and we'll consider you because we're looking for fresh blood. Uh, Muda is doing the same thing as well. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is this a good move? I mean, is that the way to get people to join your party? Well, uh, I mean, it's not like everybody that wants to be an Adun can apply uh, or run on a Muda ticket. They will have a selection committee to find out the best potential candidates candidates for in election. They're going to be based on the ability to identify current issues, offer possible solutions as, you know, so it's, it's I'm sure there's criteria. Of course, there's criteria. But I guess usually and traditionally, you have people who go up the ranks in a political party and then run, right? Yeah, but maybe this is such a new political party. They don't have much time to run up the ranks. And I think that's what people are also questioning, right? Why are they so eager, I suppose, to, to run in an election as opposed to maybe just taking some time to build more awareness about the party? Uh, and, and hence, why aren't they working with PH in that end? I think there's been so many questions um, of PH supporters thinking that Muda is just really trying to steal their vote share. Correct. I think what Sai Sadi mentioned earlier this week is he was quite disappointed with PH reform agenda and he did mention about one specific example which was the asset declaration where you know in 2018 PH did commit that all MPs should declare their assets as part of the overall transparency and uh, reforms. So really, they're trying to create a third force. They're trying to say that, look, if you're tired of what we already have, we are trying to offer an alternative. And I think this is very appealing to a lot of people who are tired mm. with the current options on the table, whether it's PH or BN or PN, you know. I think change is something that's very desirable to a lot of people. And hence, that's why I think Muda's attraction lies. Okay, so if you want to hear more, uh, you can listen to the podcast entitled, podcast, uh, sorry, entitled Has Muda Grown Up As Said Sadiq Goes it alone. Another one is uh, Muda goes in solo, but at what cost? You can find that on our BFM app and also our website. All right, we are coming up to 9.56 a.m., heading into the 10 a.m. news bulletin. That is all that we have on WTF or What's the Focus this morning. Uh, coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin, and then it's over to Enterprise. Happy weekend to all. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, 
Download the BFM app.